0: This is Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan.
1: It is a new week here on Hockey Central on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Haley Salvian here with you for the next hour. We're going to have Pat Steinberg, host of uh, Flames Talk on Sports at 960, joining us shortly for the Tuesday Pat Chat. And then later in the show, we're going to talk to Jason Bruff, host of Helford and Bruff on Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver. He's going to come on later in the show to debrief yesterday's nearly one-hour-long media availability with Canucks. Uh, president of Hockey Ops Jim Rutherford, uh, lots to dig into there. Rutherford said he was disappointed in his performance at the top of the organization uh, I was going to say his performance as general manager, but that is not true. <laughs> but everybody knows that he's running the show anyway. So he's been disappointed in his performance. He called for a major surgery on the Canucks roster, admitted the team was stuck due to some of the abysmal contract work that his regime mostly inherited, but he also added to, let's be honest with the JT Miller contract extension last summer. Uh, and he said the club would struggle to make Bo Horvat. A better offer than the one they'd already made. Again, a lot there yesterday from Jim Rutherford. We'll get into all that and what comes next for the Knucks later in the show. But first, we're going to talk about the Calgary Flames. The Flames coming off a road trip winning six of a possible ten points. The two one loss to Nashville last night made that road trip just okay. I think six of ten is satisfactory, needs improvement, maybe. They got more points in games than they played in we heard that from daryl sutter yesterday so if that's you know how you look at success sure but again i still lean for looking at a grade here this what a c b minus i don't know let's ask pat steinberg we'll talk about the game a bit and look ahead uh, with the calgary flames on the atlas pizza guest hotline it's time for the pat chat Pat, what's up? What did you like? If you have to, if you have to put a, like a principal Pat hat on right now, like what grade are you giving the Flames after that road trip?
0: Uh, I don't know. Nothing, nothing spectacular. I don't know if it's a, uh, a right. It's B- satisfactory. Yeah, like it was. Yeah, it's just fine. You, you were satisfactory. You weren't exceeding expectations, but you weren't failing to meet expectations. They were. They were just okay. I mean, they, they actually played some good hockey as part of the road trip. Like there were some, some really solid stretches on the road trip. But when you take a look at how it ended and, and even talking to Andrew Mangiapane on, on Monday night following the game or after an optional practice at the Dome on on this Tuesday today and talking to a couple of players, and th- th- there was definitely a realization they could have made it a great trip and mm-hmm. being able to come home with essentially it would have been the same as a four and one record it would have been three uh or wouldn't two oh and two but it doesn't matter you still get eight of a possible 10 points if you go or three oh and two rather uh, if, yeah. if you're able to win the game against nashville but yeah it was it, it was oh i think the the frustrating part of the way the the trip ended was that You know, it was probably 38 minutes of of hockey in Nashville where they were the second best team and opportunity to wrap up a trip and and be able to really make it a a successful run. I think that's that's pretty frustrating. But we are still talking about a group that I think since the beginning of that California trip, so since December 20th, almost a month now, well, we're talking about them being uh, now. That would be eight, three, and three in that stretch. That's a pretty. That's a pretty good run for them, and and to get points in eleven of fourteen games. It's uh, like you, you'll take that. But mm-hmm. yeah, it was a missed opportunity against a Predators team that to their credit played really well like that was a really solid outing from nashville and they were full marks for the victory and and the fact the flames weren't able to kind of wake their game up until late in the second and then the third period is, is a little frustrating from a calgary standpoint uh, but nashville nashville deserved those two points and um yeah so i go I'll, I'll go b minus because i don't know right. if it's quite a c i don't even know what letter grades mean anymore, but I, uh, yeah, I give it a, I give it a B minus. They were, they were fine. They did some good things, but they, they didn't make it a a really great trip for themselves, which they definitely had the opportunity to do.
1: Right. And and we heard from some of the players after the game, Nikita Zadorov specifically, and he had a, a pretty fiery quote that we'll play here in a second. But I know last night he said, you know, this game was to make the trip not good, but great. Um, they didn't get the good, the two points. So it's just a good road trip, and I think we need to keep the perspective here. You know, dissecting a loss to Nashville. I mean, the Flames have been able to get points in 17 of their last 22 games. Like that's, and I think that's maybe a perspective that has been lost in some of the conversations around this team lately. Um, they've probably been better than they've. I think this team. I don't know, it just feels like sometimes the conversations on my show too, I'm not saying yours, your show's perfect, Pat, but I think sometimes we can get so into, like, what is going wrong, what is going wrong, when I don't think they're as bad as maybe some of that kind of um, fodder would suggest. Although there are a lot of things that can be kind of, you know, irritating and need to be dissected and questioned about this hockey team. But I think there is the perspective there that they've been, You know, putting together, they've been getting points again in seventeen of their last twenty-two. Yeah, and I think,
0: I think the frustrating part is that they, I I, maybe frustrating. We can see that
1: there's more, right? I think. Sorry to cut you off, but that's that's probably part of it. it.
0: And I think that the expectations were extremely high coming into the season as well. Like when you think about. Mm -hmm. The the excitement level that surrounded the Calgary Flames coming into the year. Um, I I also think that that plays into why maybe there is a little bit more frustration uh, to them being a wild card team right now, sitting in the number two wild card spot in the Western Conference. I, I think that's part of it. Now they've played forty five games on the year uh, last year. I'm just going to look right now. Uh, last year it was February twelfth when they played their. Um, Uh, when they played their 45th game. So at this point last year, through 45 games they had 55 points so they're a little ahead of uh, or a little behind that pace but they had 55 points last year and they're at 51 this year so they're still only 4 points off the pace that they set for themselves at this stage last year and obviously the second half of the season was Calgary's bread and butter last year it's when they really started to put a lot of wins together and and I'm not expecting a second half of the season as ridiculous as what we saw last year. I'm really not. And, and a big part of that was that seven-game homestand that got moved into the former All-Star break where they had to reschedule all those COVID games. Um, yeah. I'm not expecting them to be that high-end in the second half of the season, But I do think this group has gotten gradually better and gradually more consistent as the year went along. So if we were to be talking about a better month of February and March and, you know, if they could play 650 hockey in February and March, then we're probably talking about them being uh, in a playoff spot when it's all said and done. And I still still think that there are at least, or there is at least one vulnerable team to track down in the Pacific Division, and, and that would be the LA Kings and I think both Calgary and Edmonton have eyes on LA to maybe track him down Um, but I I, I think that there's a pretty decent chance the Flames are going to just continue taking gradual steps here. I don't know if it'll get them to be in the team that we all hope they could be in the offseason and and some of those lofty levels of them being like a, a cup contender and best team in the West. There was a lot of talk about that in the offseason. Not sure they're going to necessarily get there at any point during the regular season, but the one thing I keep going back to is – if they can get there and if they can be a playoff team and, and probably better suited as a Pacific Division team as opposed to a wild card. But nonetheless, I, I just think if they can get there and they can be a playoff team, I still whether I'm whether you know people who have have said this, including myself, are right or not, I'm just really curious to see whether or not the the feeling that has existed that they could be a tougher out in the playoffs. I'm just really interested to see that fleshed out and we get to determine whether or not that's the case and whether the acquisition of Nazem Kadri and the depth that they have down the middle now and uh, a blue line that I think is a little deeper even than it was last year potentially uh, at least a deeper top four. I'm, I'm, I'm really interested to see if those things end up being the, the steps forward that we hope they could be specifically come playoff time.
1: Right. And and that's been, you know, I think that's the key part that a lot of people have focused on, at least when I saw the moves that the Flames made this offseason. I think my take on it was that they're going to be better in areas when the games matter the most. Right. And that's the postseason. We just have to get there first and they need to qualify for the postseason first. So we can I guess we're kind of kicking that evaluation point down the road. But obviously we have all these pieces to look at. On their way to qualifying for the playoffs. Um, let's look at the game last night a little bit more here, Pat, before we move on, because I did mention that Nikita Zadorov uh, quote. So, just a couple things before we hear what Nikita had to say about the Flames' first two periods, first 38 minutes, as you mentioned. I mean, they were not very good in the first two periods, to say the least. I think Nashville was way outproducing them in terms of shot quality the high danger chances last night at five on five were 13 to four through two periods in favor of the Nashville Predators I mean there were several players on the Flames who hadn't registered a shot or a shot attempt on goal an individual shot attempt I should say um, and the Flames had a 33 percent expected goal rate so the Predators were just spending way more time with the puck more time with the puck in the Flames zone Uh, they looked way better in the third period Uh, it just wasn't enough. Let's uh, hear what Nikita Zadorov had to say about the first two periods last night.
0: So uh,
2: we heard your your words, but I guess reiterate how you felt the team was tonight.
0: Well, I mean, it was a pathetic effort by us first two periods for sure. Thing we were a step behind. The energy wasn't there. The commitment wasn't there. We weren't shooting. We were making bad plays. We were giving up too many chances. So I think it was just the all-around bad effort for us in the first two periods.
1: So I think this is a bit of a two-parter here for you, Pat. I mean, it's not just, you know, what Zadorov said. I think it's the leadership. That he kind of took in holding that accountability for the team. That's significant. And also the fact that he tied his career high with seven goals last night. Like, we're seeing, I think, a leveled up Nikita Zadorov this year in terms of, I mean, that leadership element, that accountability element, um, and also his play on the ice. Like, what have you seen from Nikita Zadorov this season? And, and I guess, what do you think when you hear him say that last night after the loss?
0: Well, and and uh, and and I also heard him on with uh, with Ryan Leslie in the second intermission of of the game as well, and and kind of e- echoed the same things. It was was very much like, hey, we haven't been good enough. Let's figure it out. Let's get our stuff together, and uh, let's go out there and be a whole lot better in the third. And, and to Calgary's credit, they were. That was by far their best period, and they almost came back to tie the game. Uh, but I like the I like the the way that you phrased it, kind of leveling up and. And, and, you know, I don't even know if it's just a this-season thing. It's been kind of more than a a one-season thing. It goes all the way back to the beginning of last year, right? Remember, and and I know you do, um, remember in, I think it was game three of the season in Detroit where they put Shillington on a pairing with Chris Tanev, and that lasted the rest of the year. And Zadorov ended up coming out on that road trip, and he played... I think he missed five consecutive as a healthy scratch, kind of reset him. He came back into the lineup, and that pairing with him and Eric Branson started about seven or eight games into the season, and then it lasted for the rest of the year. And Zadorov went from being a guy that, you know, looked very much, it didn't work with Tanev, and defensively it was a train wreck, and he was kind of all over the place, and you're saying, geez, what was this acquisition by the Flames? Like, is this going to work? And all of a sudden, by midway through the season, He had really settled into a role. And then the beginning of training camp. I know Daryl Sutter was kind of talking about how he was their most impressive defenseman through camp and in the preseason and was talking about how many steps he's taken and you know Zadorov's game has come a, a significant significant way to the point where you know you can you, you're comfortable playing him a little further up the lineup uh, the offensive side of things which has always been there like we've always known that Zadorov can skate and we always known there's been a little sneaky offensive upside there but you know we didn't see a ton of it last year and this year he's been a little bit more assertive when it comes to the offensive side of it and I think that that just plays into him being a little bit more um just a little bit more comfortable with this coach and with this team and and all of it I he's been a really cool story and I think that the mm. you know we're not talking about a guy who has a, a good chunk of NHL games under his belt and I've I've uh, I've I don't request him very often in the first intermission for our radio broadcast at home because I just I know that he hates doing them. He doesn't want to do it. He doesn't like to talk in, in intermissions. And, and I don't say that as a criticism. I love it because the guy is dialed. He is competitive and just wants to get into the room. Figure out the whatever adjustments he needs to make. Get set, get rested, and go out there for period number two. And and I I've just really really enjoyed the Zadorov progression and you know, whether it's Dylan Dubé or him or Dan Vladar, I mean there's there's really three guys, I guess Rizichka would be the other one, but there's really three guys that you would put in the category of clearly most improved player on the Calgary Flames and, and whether you put Dubé one or you put Zadorov one, doesn't really matter. Zadorov is one of the most improved players on the Flames year over year. You go back to the start of last year, you even go back to the beginning of this year and how he's improved and settled in and become that much more comfortable and confident. It's been a really cool story. So you know he's going to set a new career high for goals almost certainly. Uh, he he's getting more and more into it and involved offensively. That was a really nice step up and a really nice um, really nice decision to join the rush on Calgary's only goal last night and a good finish from him. Uh, I'm I'm liking what i have seen. and he's also he's also just a really cool character and a guy that uh, is is really easy to cheer for because he cares. He wants to be here. He likes playing for this team uh it's it's just it's been a cool story I'm uh I've I've turned into a big Zadorov fan
1: well the one point that you just made he likes playing for the team I mean Nikita Zadorov was at a point where he was going to test the market last offseason. I think we need to remember that. You know, I think there was a report out there that he was going to test UFA status and go out there. But what I had been told before that report came out and before everything happened with Johnny Gaudreau and Matthew Kachuk, like we were still in that really long kind of, it felt really long as a media member waiting period, I'm sure for fans too, of, you know, what's going to happen with Johnny Gaudreau and what's going to happen with Matthew Kachuk. And one of the dominoes within that in terms of the to-do list for the Flames was Nikita Zadorov and, and his pending unrestricted free agent status. And I'd been told um, by a source with you know information and source close to the situation, I should say that Nikita wanted to re-sign in Calgary, but they were essentially just waiting to see how much money the Flames would have uh, with the Johnny Gaudreau and Matthew Kachuk situation. Um, and then as things kind of kept progressing, I was like, all right, we haven't heard anything. He's going to test the market. And then On the night before and then everything starts happening. Johnny Gaudreau leaves and the Flames we know, you know, re-signed Nikita Zadorov, And and I think he saw that how much improved he was in Calgary and that there was a match with Daryl Sutter. and, And I mean, he, I guess, put his money where his mouth is. I mean, he got a pretty good ticket. It's not like he took a huge pay cut. Um, but I think you could just tell how much he wanted to play for this team um, and that there was a fit there um, in the organization. he liked the city he you know there's a fit with the coach and and we're just seeing that continue this season. Cause we have to remember when he came to Calgary and that was his fourth organization before what his before his 26th birthday, people were kind of like, hmm, I wonder how this is gonna work out and it's it worked out really well um, in mm-hmm. part because, He's improving, and he wants to be there. I think that's a significant piece of it. Um, have the Flames settled on a top line now that I'm done agreeing with you and you know my little shtick about the Zadorov? Have they settled on a top nine that they feel comfortable with, and are you comfortable with it, Pat? Well,
0: we had a <laughs> we had a. Big chat about this on on Flames Talk yesterday prior to the, the Nashville game, and, and Wes Gilbertson and I were talking about how this is by far the most consistent run the Flames have had. Uh, when it comes to forward lines and, and last night was the 13th consecutive game that they've had the same top 9 forward lines. I'm curious what they look like against Colorado. I don't necessarily think there's huge reason to change. There were, you know, the backland line for the first time last night in 13 games. The backland line with Coleman and Mangiapane had had a rare, very rare off night. Like they had been in the 65-70% range possession wise and were out chancing the opposition huge. And last night was the the other way around. they That has not happened at all prior to last night since they've been put together, but they struggled a little bit. I thought that the the Huberto line with Kadri and, and Lucic was, was just okay at 5-on-5 five five, and they kind of swam and, and were underwater defensively for a lot of it. But you know, those two lines had been pretty decent for a little while there uh, and and the, the Huberto line with Kadri and Lucic had been scoring a lot. Obviously the backland line has, I, I think over the last 13 games since they've been put together like the backland line has been by and large driving the hockey team and been the the biggest positive force for the group and and the the Lindholm line has had some really really good light good nights and they were dominant on the California trip they had that great night against St. Louis in the second game after they were kind of blown out of the water in the first St. Louis game but I do think that and I know that there is a lot of consternation and a lot of frustration with Milan Lucic being on that line and playing with <laughs> Calgary's two most prized off season forward additions. And I get there's right? a lot of people clamoring to see Jacob Pelche there or to see Adam Ruzicka there or put somebody else there. But as it stands right now, even with last night being taken into account that, it has not been a bad line, and I believe they're now seven three and three in the thirteen games that they've been put together. They've outscored the opposition eleven six at five on five in those games that they've played together. Like it's, it has not, it has not been as bad as the frustration would lead you to believe. And that's not to suggest that I think that. It's the long term fit. That's not to suggest that I think that it's going to be it's gonna look like that for game one of the playoffs, and, and that's the the way that they're going to to line up when the postseason begins, if the flames can get there. Because I don't I don't think it is the long term fit. But as of right now, because you found something that has been dominant far more often than not at the back line, and Dubay with Lindholm and Toffoli has been a nice fit, and I thought they were Probably the best forward line for Calgary in uh, in yesterday's loss, and and I th- they, they've been since put together. They've been good more often than not. I just to me Adam Ruzicka hasn't done enough, and his game has has fallen off. I'm not I'm not keen in bumping him back onto that line. I j- and I don't think Lucic has played poorly enough. For it to be like, no, nope, Lucic has to go back to the fourth line. Like I, I it's it's actually been okay, and Huberdeau and Kadri have played their best hockey since that line's been constructed. And I'm not even suggesting that's because of Lucic, because I think it's more about far more about Huberdeau and Kadri learning to play with one another and those guys getting more comfortable in Calgary and all that type of stuff but that line is working and it's not being detrimental it's 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 fine and so when you've got two other lines that have clearly found something and that line is starting to come and they've been the highest scoring line in the 13 games that these lines have been put together. I just don't see this, this huge reason to make a change right now. And when it becomes obvious that a change needs to be made sure. And I'm not even suggesting that they shouldn't go out and still look for another forward because I think that they should, I still believe they're a top six or middle six scoring winger away from being exactly where they want with their forwards, and I still believe that that is a big-time need between now and the early March trade deadline. All I'm saying is that it hasn't been as bad as I think some of the narratives out there have been. And that's just my mm-hmm. opinion. And 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 if yours is different, Hales, or or if, if anybody else is different, that's fine. But in my opinion, I just don't think it has been as bad with Lucic on that line as some people are suggesting. And because of that, and because you've got three forward lines in your top nine that have largely worked, and we haven't seen that since the first five or six games of the season, I just wouldn't be eager to make wholesale changes when it comes to my combinations.
1: And who knows, yeah, they might be I, different
0: tomorrow morning when they take on Colorado. <laughs> who knows?
1: Right. I don't think I have a particularly strong opinion one way or the other about Milan Lucic in that, you know, top six rotation. Honestly, I, I don't think I've had, I haven't seen anything egregious enough that has made me feel like get, get him off that line, you know? I think... I'm sure there's probably been a turnover, maybe a moment where he's not as fast as foot as people would like. But yeah, it's not as big of a, a deal to me right now because I do think that the team has been, you know, again, we bring up the 17, the points in 17, their last 22. It's hard to say that that's been, you know, the chief issue and in, in some of the, the losses or the points that they've been leaving up on the board. You mentioned your opinion that they need another scoring winger or a scoring winger. At the deadline, whether it's top six, middle six, uh, Pat, is there anybody that you kind of circled in this early? You know, we're just under two months out from the from the trade deadline. Things can change. Different buyers pop up. Different sellers, et cetera, et cetera. We know all that. Um, but is there anybody that that's come to mind for you early on that you've kind of put at the top of your list? Well,
0: the guy that has like, and and he's been kind of on the fringes of the the flames on the outside, like he's a guy that we've been talking about for a long time in the market um, is is Konechny in Philadelphia and I think he would be an incredible fit here. He's got a good contract he is still under contract beyond this year which is always something that we know that general manager Brad True Living values when he makes trades uh, so, so I, I think he would be an incredible fit but uh, it was either last year, or the week uh, last week, or the week before I asked our, our Flames Talk NHL insider Frank Saravalli about him and he said he's not convinced that Philadelphia is going to be moving him and he he kind of believes that as much as Philadelphia could very much be in sell mode, he doesn't think Konechny is going to be one of the guys that they part with and they might be looking at him and his belief is that they're looking at him and pointing at him as one of the guys to go forward with but if if he were to be available at any point, I think he would be uh, a really, really good fit on this team and, and I think would be exactly what they're looking for a right shot top six scoring winger he plays with edge and and he just adds that that you know they, they've kind of been missing that edge since Kachuk left and then he adds a little bit of that and so uh I, I'd be really interested in him age range is good he's what 26 27 years old 25. so it would cost a lot no doubt about it it would cost a ton but if he were to ever become available I think he would be a great fit and then I want to make sure that I give the proper credit it was a caller on Flames post postgame within the last two or three games, definitely during the road trip. I think it was Travis, and I just want to make sure if it wasn't Travis and if it was somebody else, uh, I apologize, but I'm pretty sure it was Travis who brought up uh, Andre Kuzmenko in Vancouver. Mm. And I had never thought yeah. about him, but and, – and look – I don't know. It sounds like uh, Rick Dollywall in Vancouver reporting that uh, Dan Milstein, his agent, and the Canucks have have had kind of those first conversations about a contract extension for Kuzmenko. And you can understand that because he's had a great first NHL season. He's almost a point per game player on, like, he's he is one of the best value contracts on the planet right now at less than a million dollars after coming over from Russia last year. But man, Kuzmenko seems to fit everything the Flames would be looking for right now. He is a right shot scoring winger uh, who now the only difference would be uh, he is on an expiring contract but he is a guy that has uh, a very very low cap hit that you could work in today without having to do anything when it comes to your cap structure. I just think he would be a real we've talked a lot about Brock Besser and there's you know always this talk about could the Flames get Bo Horvat, but if there is a guy <laughs> and I have no idea, maybe Vancouver does end up signing him and, and I think it would be smart for them to do, but If the Canucks wanted to maximize a player that they didn't have to give up any assets to give, like they could get a haul, whether it's from Calgary or elsewhere, for a player like Kuzmenko because he is like he is a perfect fit on. I don't know, every playoff team out there, you could make a (laughs) fit for this guy with how well he's played. So that guy popped into my head. Well, it didn't pop into my head. Uh, Travis, I think it was Travis, put it into my head, and I was (laughs) like, that is a really, really good. I just don't want to take credit for uh, somebody else's else's, uh, suggestion. (laughs) But uh, I I think that would be a really, really good fit, and he'd be super interesting. Look, I don't know if either of them are realistically available. I have no idea because the trade market is so quiet right now. I can't remember a mid-January when it is felt this quiet, but I really like the idea of both of those players.
1: Cap space, baby. There was a tweet going around about uh, how many teams are in LTIR and how many teams are completely capped out and how many teams, you know, can't do anything because of the hard cap that has been flat for the last couple of years. It's a struggle and it's the kind of canned answer that most insiders are giving, most analysts yep. are giving. Like, oh, could you see X team make Y move? It's like, oh, I don't know. Do they have the cap space to do it? I, I'm, I'm just, uh, yeah. That's the the world we are living in right now in terms of yep. the uh, trade market and the the financials in the NHL. The tricky part with the Flames needing a you know a right shot scoring winger is. Uh, Most playoff teams could use one of those heading into the postseason. So not only are there only a couple of those who are actually worth giving up assets for, then you also have to be the one that makes the best offer uh, for those few players that could actually make an impact. I think Anthony Duclair is one that I talked about on this show a little while ago. Um, That is very intriguing to me. He would be perfect, especially when you consider the fact that he has one more year with a $3 million contract. I think the way that the flames like cat space accruals worked and how much space they have on cat friendly, they could fit him under the cap. If they acquired him at the deadlines, he makes three mil and then one more year at three mil, which is a little bit more of the, you know, the Brad tree living type deal where it's not just a a solid rental and he's 27. He's a right shot goal scorer, very speedy. But again, uh, I'm sure the Florida Panthers don't want to give up anthony duclair they're gonna to have to give up somebody because again their cap situation is terrible um but then there's gonna be a ton of competition to grab a guy like that at the deadline if he is indeed available last question for you pat before we head to breaks so we're bringing on jason bruff to talk about the canucks so i'll ask, maybe a, ask him a, ask a bit about kuzmenko. about kuzmenko oh yeah. yeah i jotted that down as we well, that was actually one of my questions already because they're gonna to have to do something you can't just have your trade chips at the deadline being Bo Horvat and Luke Shen. I mean, you could, but feels like they should probably sell high on a guy well, they, they like that. They seem
0: to march to, their, uh, to the beat of their own drum there, so who knows? Yeah,
1: it's a mess over there right now. Uh, okay, final one, Pat. Would you like to see the NHL adopt the WHL rule regarding pucks off player skates in 2016? And I'm going to give credit to Elliot Friedman. I totally forgot this. In 2016, the WHL just got rid of the distinct kicking motion. It's not in the WHL rulebook. So if the puck goes off a player's skate and then enters the net, unless the puck was in the goal crease when that contact was made, it shall be ruled a goal. (laughs) It's just so simple to me in the case of, you know, I'd have to go back. I, I don't even. I don't think Toffoli, Maybe he was in the crease in that case, but he was trying to kick the puck to his stick to take the shot. There was a, a goal, and this is why Elliot Freeman brought it up. Bobby McMahon, you know, Leafs guy, gets his first NHL goal. He's kicking the puck up like Toffoli, to his stick to make the right to make a good shot, but then it goes off yeah. his skate, goes off someone else's skate, goes in, no goal. Like I'm just. I get it. I think the way that the rules are written, these are the right calls. Let's make that very clear. But I am so tired of hearing about distinct kicking motions. Just get rid of it. Do the WHL thing. Get it out of the rule book.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I'm bored of it. I've, I've, I thought that when they when they went to that rule, I thought it was actually a really smart move. Because I mean, why it is that? It just makes
1: sense. Now, you can, I get it was, for safety like, it's just, reasons.
0: I do. I the only thing that I always go back to. You is, think
1: people are going to start kicking each other?
0: No, it's more just like, do you <laughs> want a bunch of knives throwing, being thrown around? Right. Like I get, I get the reason when people say, "What about safety?" Now it has not led to a bunch of, um, it has not led to a bunch of cuts or anything like that in the Western League, and there's been a pretty good body of work there. So, I like I I'm with you. I thought that it was. I thought calling it a no goal was correct based on what I think I know about the NHL's rule. But to answer your question, yeah, I'm, I am I really am on board because I think the, the Western League going to that rule, I was like, you know, that makes sense because what does it matter? It can go off your arm and it counts. Why does it exactly. matter if it goes off your skate, if you are making a distinct it, motion or not? So
1: Especially with- if it's incidental and you're literally just... Like to Foley, you're trying to get the stick, like get the puck up to your stick, or you're like Bobby McMahon, and you're trying to get the puck up into a yep. proper spot to make the play, and then it ends up going off someone else and in. <laughs> Anyways, we're out of time. I'm with. I'm you. I'm with you. Yeah. I agree. We agree. I'm not going to look at the text line. See, they probably don't agree. Just I kidding. I will look at the text sure. line. In fact,
0: I know some would. <laughs>
1: Let us know what you think, 960, 960. That's all the time we have with Pat uh, before we head to break. Thanks, my friend. This was a good chat. (laughs) There goes Pat Steinberg, your host of Flames Talk. You can hear him later on this afternoon, again, on Flames Talk here on Sports at 960. The fan and that conversation, that conversation, excuse me, uh, was brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar. You can come on in and enjoy hockey and football. Game day specials at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast, Pickup and delivery also available at Atlas Pizza, 403-248-3344. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Jason Bruff. Maybe ask him, uh Sandre Kuzmenko someone who could be available? Seems like a good fit for the Calgary Flames, according to you know our friend Travis. We believe his name is Travis on the text line. And uh, Pat Steinberg. That's coming up next on Hockey Central and Sports at 960 The Fan.
0: You're listening to Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan.
1: Welcome back to the program. Just checking in on some hockey news during the break here. Looks like Evander Kane is indeed going to be back in the lineup for the Edmonton Oilers tonight. Jesse Pouliarvi, a healthy scratch. That was about, you know, 40 minutes ago, I guess. That, that became official. Everyone's talking about it on the timeline right now. That's a game uh, between the Edmonton Oilers and Seattle Kraken tonight with Pacific Division implications. Another team in the Pacific, the Vancouver Canucks, they are back in the headlines. Probably always in the headlines. There's always something going on in Vancouver. So we're going to go back to the Atlas Pizza Guest Hotline and bring in uh, Jason Bruff, one of the co hosts of Halford Bruff on uh, Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver. Jason, how are we doing today? Lots to talk about after yesterday's almost hour-long press conference with Jim Rutherford.
2: Okay, I have a, I have a question for the rest of Canada. Are you guys getting sick of the Canucks? <laughs> I, I was actually texting with uh, Elliot Friedman, and I said, like, I asked him, like, you know, people love your 32 thoughts, they like your interviews with Jeff Merrick, are they getting sick of every time you're leading with the Vancouver Canucks, or... Do you guys enjoy this? Because it's fun to make <laughs> fun of the Canucks.
1: You know what? It's a good question because I was having a conversation with Sean Gentilly, who I know goes on your mm-hmm. show quite a bit, and he was a yeah, like, very funny guy. Very funny, and his take. Obviously, being American, he's from Pittsburgh, and we co-host a, a podcast together on the Athletic. and And he was saying something like, "For a team that's in the like, you know, bottom ten in the league, they're twenty six <laughs> overall now." He's like, "People sure talk about the Vancouver Canucks a lot. Uh, they're not good. We shouldn't be spending this much time talking about them, but here we are. So maybe it's because right, well. we have a little bit of fun with it. I don't know. Our text line is Most open. G- People can let us know." <laughs>
2: Sean, Sean isn't going to get any more invites to our show then. If he doesn't want to talk about the Vancouver Canucks, that's fine.
1: Oh, I feel uh, yeah, like he you know enjoys what?
2: it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yesterday's uh, press conference with Jim Rutherford was, I mean, it was it was kind of old school. Like, you don't really see those types of press conferences before. I, I, I wasn't there, but I heard from a few people, and I think Thomas Drantz wrote about it for The Athletic. He wrote, that at one point the Canucks PR team tried to wrap up the interview, and Rutherford waved them off. It was kind of like you—you didn't want to throw in the towel. He wanted to keep battling out there. Um, right. I don't—I don't know how many, how much of the fan base he convinced, though, because um, you know when he went in with the whole "we're not rebuilding, we're going to continue to retool." You know, that's what we've been hearing in Vancouver for a long time now. And uh, I I realize it's been a change in management, and there are some good young players in the organization, like Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes and Thatcher Demko. But I just think it's been so bad this year that people, um, and it's been so bad for a number of years, really, except for a few blips here and there. That people have just lost faith in the organization. So they've got a really tough. um, They've got a really tough. Uh, job to do not only with fixing this very flawed roster but also gaining credibility in the market which which has been lost
1: right yeah i think that's been pretty clear you know just take a scroll through twitter i follow quite a few canucks media members and fans and yeah it, it seems like there's a lot of concern uh not a lot of hope among the fan base and media about you know this commitment towards another retooling effort versus an actual Rebuild. I mean, they've kind of been retooling for a while now, and and that hasn't really worked. Do you see? And I know, you know, one of the quotes Jim had was, you know, I thought we already were tanking, which, you know, sure, that's pretty funny. They are 26th in the league right now. Do you think we're going to see a lot of moves out of Vancouver coming at the deadline? Are they going to start selling off? And, And what pieces are actually realistic to expect to be on the move out of Vancouver? Uh, come March?
2: Uh, I think that's a really good question. And I think the answer Jim Rutherford would give you would be as many moves as possible, but not many moves have been possible right now because they got a lot of bad contracts. Um, and I think Horvat's going to be traded. I think there's maybe a 10% chance that he re signs, but I don't know. You know, even Rutherford admitted yesterday, you know, we're in a pickle in that situa- with that <laughs> yeah. situation with Bo Horvat. Um, I think Luke Shen will probably be traded. Um, I think he's that rare—he's that rare piece that might get traded and then re-signed with the Canucks um, in the off-season. Because I just think—I think he likes Vancouver. I think he wants to live there. That's more family reasons, uh, being close to the Okanagan. You know, you, you know, Elliot Freeman was saying Tampa Bay might have an interest in picking him up as a rental, and of course he won a couple of cups there with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, they got a big decision to make on Kuzmenko. Um, it sounds like they want to re-sign him. Um, but I suppose if they can't get a deal there, he's depending on restricted free agents, so he could be gone. But then you start to talk about guys like Brock Besser or Connor Garland, both of which have had underperforming seasons. They haven't really uh, scored that many goals. Uh, they have term left on their contract, and you just wonder if those deals might have to wait until the off season because you know Jim Rutherford has been dying to make moves. He just can't. Uh, and um, in that reality, I think he um, underestimated how difficult it was going to be to move salary, and it also makes his decision to re-sign JT Miller to a big contract and to bring in Ilya Mikheyev on a fairly big ticket. It puts those decisions into question because, you know, like you're already in cap trouble, and you added contracts, You know, yeah. I don't know what, you know, a big debate we have right now is, and it might be, I don't want to speak for Flames fans, but maybe it's similar to the talk about Jonathan Huberto, right? Like, if, if let's say they did an about face, the Flames or the Canucks, could they trade JT Miller for something without retaining? And I guess the same would be true for Huberto in Calgary because these guys have signed for big tickets. They were... I don't. Uh, Huberto certainly was a win-now move, and I understood it. Um, I think the J.T. Miller extension was, le- was much less um, justified because I think they locked in a player that, you know, and the team wasn't good. The team was not good, and they kept, and they kept this guy. But they've got a lot of contracts, questionable contracts on the book, and that includes Oliver Eckman Larson, is probably the most untradeable of them all.
1: That is one of the ones that I look at sometimes. And I understand it was part of a bigger deal. And, you know, at the time, I think that was looked at because they pretty well, because they dumped some money and they got a bunch of stuff in return, et cetera, et cetera. But sometimes when I look at the Canucks books and think, this is what you've committed to on your blue line, yet you didn't pay Chris Tanov. That is something I look at sometimes. I'm just like, oof.
2: Well, That's Haley, the, the Oliver ackman Larson <laughs> deal, you can just come out and say it was dumb. It was really, really dumb. Like, it was dumb. It was it was one of the dumbest trades in franchise history because, here, I'll, I'll go down the list here. Okay, so
0: <laughs>
2: one of the reasons they did the deal was to be rid of the contracts of Beagle, uh, Roussel, and Louis Erickson, uh, who had about a combined cap of $12 million. However... They only had one year left on those deals. So they could have just (laughs) waited those out. So they made that deal and they sent away a first round draft pick um, in the process, which turned into Jalen Gunther, who was a pretty good player for the World Juniors, for Canada at the World Juniors. I believe he scored a fairly important goal for them, but I digress. Um, (laughs) So they did that move because they felt that year they really wanted to make a push. They missed the playoffs. So they cleared all that cap space. Sending away a first round draft pick and they didn't even make the playoffs. And now they're stuck with Oliver Ekman Lars's contract. Connor Garland was part of that deal too, and he hasn't panned out. And we're sitting here wondering, well, what's Connor Garland worth? And a lot of people said, Well, the first round pick is for Connor Garland. Well, it wasn't worth Oof. it. So, no. you know, every element of that trade has gone badly for the Vancouver Canucks.
1: I think one of the players that would be the easiest to move at the deadline is one that you already mentioned in Andre Kuzmenko and, and Pat Steinberg was just on the show talking about, you know, how the Flames need a you know what, top six scoring winger, someone who's a natural yeah. right shot, who can play in the top six, middle six. Kuzmenko makes nine hundred and fifty thousand dollars this year. Even the most capped out teams can fit that under the books. Like if you were the general manager of the Vancouver Canucks right now, like are are you making that trade? Because I think when you look at, you know, the the value that he has and how many teams could probably drive that price up. I mean, it it just seems like, sure, he's a great player and, you know, maybe he's part of the core moving forward, but that just seems like one of the easier moves that you could make at the deadline. Are you making that trade if you're GM?
2: well i think it, it depends I, I generally agree with you um there's two things that we don't know one we don't know how much he's going to cost to resign and he's just still still a pretty young guy so i think he's only 26 so let's say you get him to agree to a three or four year deal with a reasonable cap that you're not you're not crea- you're not killing the value of the asset by doing that um and number two is what is he worth at the trade deadline, because if I was a general manager, yes, I'd love his cap hit, but I'd have a few questions. I'd I'd ask myself, okay, well, how much is his production a product of playing with Elias Pedersen, who has been far and away the Canucks best player? And I would also wonder, okay, it's the playoffs. You know, my coach is Daryl Sutter, for example. How much is Daryl Sutter going to trust this guy in the playoffs, a guy who's only played in North America for half the season, hasn't experienced playoff hockey. Like I, I, I'm not, I'm not saying it's like the 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 cap hit is you know very attractive, but I just I, I I do I do think that there could be a little bit of hesitancy out there. Whereas a guy like Horvat, although the deal might be tougher to make from a cap perspective. I think you've got more of a proven playoff entity there. Like, he was – the Canucks haven't had much playoff experience, but he was really good in the bubble, and he really raised his game. So, I think the more attractive player would be Horvat over Kuzmenko. But I agree with you that that salary cap hit, like, the cat, it's really tempting because it's a doable trade. And how often do we see in the NHL, like, we'd like to make moves. We just can't.
1: Seems like a, a Tampa Bay Lightning kind of thing. I don't know why. I just see him, you know, being on the third line or something with Nick Paul and Hagel with a, with a contract in the yeah. drawer or something really smart that they concocted over there. Uh, we've got a couple more minutes, so I'll throw one more at you. Sure. When are they going to stop letting Bruce Boudreaux kind of flap in the wind?
2: You know, the other day, I, I've never done this before, but I called for the firing of Bruce Boudreaux out of mercy like yeah, it is, right. it is hard, it's hard to watch and like you know sometimes I, I bristle when people say like you really gotta feel for that guy you mean the guy making lots of money in the NHL like <laughs> you know I, I'm like I don't I, I feel for like working class people that are struggling to make ends meet not professional athletes uh, you know making lots of money who might be dealing with a bit of adversity but I think the issue with it right now is that um, it makes the organization look terrible like they have not supported this guy Jim Rutherford I've I've actually never seen a dynamic like this. Like Jim Rutherford, uh, basically, you could tell, did not want Bruce Boudreau to be the coach this season, but because of some contract issues and the fact that the owner didn't want to have to pay three coaches because Travis Green was also still getting paid, you know, he, he 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 was kind of like, all right, Bruce is going to be our coach, but I don't believe he basically said like, I don't believe he can coach the team with the structure that I want. And you know what? At the end of the day, he was right. Um, for all that Bruce Boudreaux um, has done with other teams, he had he was given a challenge this season, and that was to improve the Canucks' defensive structure, make it easier for them to get out of their own end, defend better, and frankly, they've gotten worse. So mm-hmm. is it a personnel thing or is it a coaching thing? I think it's mostly a personnel thing. But, you know, Bruce Boudreaux, um, he hasn't been part of the solution. So, it, but, but like having said all of that, it's a bad look for the Canucks the way he has to come out time and time again and answer questions after another tough loss. And you know he's not being supported by the organization. It's not a good look. And I think they're going to make a coaching change soon. The question is just when. I assume it's going to be Rick Tockett, and that brings up. All sorts of other questions, like, is Rick Tockett the right guy for the job? So lots of stuff going on in Vancouver. How's Calgary doing?
1: (laughs) You know what? Not as bad in relation. You know what? They haven't uh, met expectations. You know, some of their their shiny new toys haven't looked great, but uh, nothing on this level, I wouldn't say. I I think I've got 60 seconds with you, like, very quickly. Is Rick Tockett actually a fit behind the bench? Or is this just Jim hiring another one of his friends so he can kind of have some more control over everything?
2: You know, I, I'm trying to still figure out the answer to that. And we spoke with Craig Morgan, who is uh, the beat reporter for the Arizona Coyotes because I was kind of like, hey, I didn't watch a lot of Coyotes games when Rick Tocchet was the coach. Like, what was the deal there? Is he a good coach? And, um, you know, I, I, I need to find out more about his style. Like, you know, some people say, well, he's going to be the type of, you know, Rick Tocchet. he was a tough guy. He's going to come in there and kick some ass. And then I hear, I hear other people say, well, no, he's more of a player's coach. And he was the Phil Kessel whisperer. So I don't even know um, really <laughs> what he's all about. So that's on me to learn more about that. Uh, I expect it's probably going to happen in the next couple of weeks, maybe before the All-Star break. But you never know with Vancouver, that deal could fall apart too. And I don't know, I could be coaching
1: yeah and, and i mean we know that he has the relationship with jim rutherford from pittsburgh when yeah. he was an assistant yeah. so
2: mm-hmm. yeah it makes we'll sense no, like, it, <laughs> no, it, like there's definitely there's definitely something going on there it just before it happens i'm not going to say of for course. sure that it's going to happen yeah
1: yeah well you. great stuff jason thanks so much for the time no problem have a good day you too there goes uh jason bruff one of one half of Halford and Brough on Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver. And that conversation was brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar. You can dine in, pick up, or have your game day special delivered. Find out why Atlas Pizza is a 14-time Consumer Choice Award winner at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast or call 403-248-3344. That's all the time that we have for today on Hockey Central. 960 will be back tomorrow on a Flames game day. That's all coming up against the Colorado Avalanche. I say tomorrow we'll uh, chat with Peter Baugh. The uh, Avs beat writer for the Athletic. Tee up that matchup tomorrow on Hockey Central on Sports at 960 The Fan.